0: Me, or you can even just put your name down on a piece of paper back there and say, "Hey, I, contact me." But that's all you have to do. Just write your name. I, um, I've had this thought on my mind for a while, and um, in case you're wondering, Tim is out of town. He's in Boston doing a wedding for a church member, and um, so I said, "I would jump in here." I don't do this very often anymore. I'm kind of out of practice. So so far, I'm batting um, a <clears> thousand. I don't have a great Tim title. I was trying to think of, of all sorts of weird and wacky words, things I could throw up there for a title that would really kind of match the quality of what Tim brings, but um, I have a Joel title, and it's just The Way. <laughs> That's my title this morning, um, but I think it's going to be helpful, um, and uh, if you wouldn't mind just kind of putting yourself in a place of saying, okay, God, through this crazy person up here, what do you want to say to me today, if anything, and I think he would, um, If you've been here, you've known that we're in a a wisdom series, talking through Proverbs. And one of the phrases that keeps coming up in Proverbs is this phrase, the way. So I want to scroll through a few of these Proverbs just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Joni, we can just roll through these pretty quick. Do not enter the path of the wicked, it says in the Proverbs, and do not walk in the way of evildoers. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths or the way of uprightness. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. I think we have one more. The way of the Lord is a stronghold for the upright, but destruction for evildoers. Oh, one more. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the faithless is their ruin. This phrase comes up over and over and over. And it's been on my mind because it was actually first used... Uh, in as far not first before this but in christianity before the term christian so before people were called christians which they were labeled by others people who were followers of jesus referred to themselves as the way belonging to the way and a lot of that has to do with the fact that jesus used that phrase so jesus kind of in the tradition of the wisdom teachers brought up this phrase and so i want to read in john 14 this interesting interaction Jesus has with the disciples, and if you know the story, you know that this is Jesus getting ready. He's, he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's with his disciples, and he's having some final conversations with them, getting them ready for the fact that he's about to depart. So let's go ahead and put up John 14. So Jesus starts like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That phrase is going to come back. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that phrase, I am the way, that, you know, that's been used a lot of different ways in Christianity. We even have a song that we sing, the way, the truth, the life. The way has a definition, and the, the Greek word that we're translating there, because the New Testament was written in this Greek, is the word metanoia. I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. I'm talking about a different word. That's coming later. Uh, the Greek word, the way, does it just say defined up there? Is there, a, is there a screen after that? <laughs> I, sent my, uh, I sent my notes out. So, the way means a path, a road, a journey, or a course of action, meaning a course of thought or feeling or decision. So, obviously, we're talking about the way. We're talking about something that is happening, an ongoing process. And what it implies is that our destination, wherever we arrive, is going to be a result of what? A progression, a process, a way of getting there. So uh, this last weekend uh, during Memorial Day, we went to Kentucky Falls. So Joni's going to put a picture of my, my son up there with his friend Wyatt. So uh, Kentucky Falls is beautiful. That was our destination. And we got in the car and we had directions that we had printed out off the internet. And it didn't take very long for us to realize that the directions were not the way to get to Kentucky Falls I, there were, later when I compared, there were kil- kilometer measurements that should have been written in miles, which probably could have had something to do with it, but also just completely wrong turns referencing roads that I never saw nor did exist. So for a while, we were on this crazy, crazy, crazy road. I actually got a rock stuck in my wheel and had to take the tire off twice. Um, <clears throat> so we, we got there. It was only a half hour late. The rock happening, or discovering the rock was actually afterwards. But it was fortunate that we actually ended up there, because this is in the in the coast range, sort of south of Mapleton, up in the middle of nowhere. And when we got done, we got in the car, and I'm thinking, I know the way back, because I don't want to go the way we came. We actually came the opposite direction. So let's go back this way. So I headed back the opposite direction, which I'd been before. And after a while, I realized that we should have been driving north. And my my compass on the car just had a big S. And I was... I was like, okay, we've been going about 15 miles, and we're going south. This is, there's no way this is correct. Um, so we stopped. That was when the rock issue happened, took off the wheel, fixed, ended up driving all the way back to the trailhead, couldn't get any signal, trying to figure out how the heck we're going to get out of here. And luckily, just then, some other hikers came back, and I took a picture of their phone with the directions, and we were able to follow to get back home. And there were definitely times on that journey where I wondered What are we on the way to at this point? I don't even know if we're getting to the falls. I don't know if we're getting home. We're on the way somewhere. Um, But what makes all the difference on any journey is the turns you make, right? It is the steps and the signs and and each little moment that determines how you're going to end up where you're going to end up. And the wisdom writer in Proverbs and Jesus in his sayings are acknowledging, for example, that you cannot or I cannot make a person wise. I can't even make myself wise. But what I can do is learn the way to become wise. I would love to say, be wise, and you could just be wise, but I can't. And the wisdom writer knew that, and so the wisdom writer said, this is the way of wisdom. Here's the way. And so we learn by taking little steps. Jesus doesn't make us do anything. I don't know if you've ever had a picture of Jesus in your mind as a taskmaster or someone who is forcible. I don't know many people who see Jesus that way, although we tend to look at God that way. But Jesus says, I'm going to show you the way to Thomas, who says, Lord, how can we possibly know the way to get where you're going? We've never been there before. We don't even know where you're going. And Jesus says, I'm the way. You know me. So let's explore this a little bit, this distinction. It's easy to think about where we want want to end up, but it is difficult to take small steps, right? There's a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote a book. It's a book for Christians, and it's called, how's this for a title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is his description for the Christian journey, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's not very exciting. It's not a bestseller, you would think, but actually that book is phenomenal. Wisdom says, pay attention to the steps of the signs along the way. But sometimes following Jesus does not feel clear. So I have a couple examples of some bad signs. Have you ever driven in L.A. and seen anything like that and wondered, where the heck are we going? I have no idea what I'm supposed to pay attention to in this sign. Okay, the next one, though, I like even more. This looks like something you'd see in Europe. It just says, good luck. Good luck. Am I the only one who's ever felt like a spiritual journey is a bit like that? Good luck, right? It's kind of like, here, here's where you need to get to. Here's, here's the coordinates of your destination. I have no idea how you're going to get there, but good luck. And often I feel like that's the help that a lot of people offer. In fact, Jesus criticized the Pharisees of his day, and he used the phrase, woe to you, Pharisees, and he said multiple things. And a couple of the things he said really speak to what we're talking about. He said, for one, you tie up heavy burdens, heavy loads on people's backs, and yet you don't lift a finger to help them. How many of you love those sermons where somebody stands up and tells you all the ways you need to fix yourself but doesn't tell you how or say, I'm going to help you? I don't like those sermons. Um, I hope this is not one of those sermons. But Jesus also said, woe to you, you blind guides. How can the blind lead the blind, right? He says, they are both going to fall into a pit. And he calls them blind because they don't understand how to see where they're going. They don't even know where they're heading up. They're just on a path somewhere. And according to him, they were on the wrong path. So what is the way, the path, the road, the journey, the method that Jesus invites his followers to take? Let's read uh, Matthew 7. This is verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Did we put the next verse? No, just that one. So what he's describing is this narrow way, and a lot of people have interpreted that to say that only a few people are going to get into heaven. I actually don't think that's what that verse is saying. I think he's saying that in life, there are many, many, many opportunities to make decisions and take paths that lead to problems, that lead to what he calls destruction. But there is a narrow path, a Jesus way, a way to follow that leads to life. And that's the, that's the path we want to find, but it's not always easy. Um, so how do we distinguish that way from other ways? I want to take a few moments to describe this morning what I think is Jesus' fundamental message, what a lot of theologians have said. If you want to sum up the words of Jesus, what was his message that he brought to the world, this is it. And it's found in Mark 1.15. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. It's here. It's, it's, it has come. And his instructions to people who heard that message are, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe this good news. And those two words, repent and believe, represent two methods, two ways, two practices of journeying that guide us to the destination that we want to get to, to become the people we want to be and to land in the place we want to land. In Jesus' terms, it's the way to the kingdom. Um, But they also represent two of Christianity's biggest hang-ups. So let's talk about repent. When I say the word repent, how does that just make you feel? I mean, I can think about, you know, my own journey with that word. And with the idea of repentance, but just take a moment and think, what does repent mean? And this is the definition I wanted to say. The word metanoia, the word that is translated repent, is defined as to change your mind, to change your thinking. That's what the word actually means. Is repentance something that I do in order to earn God's forgiveness? Because I think that's the mentality a lot of people have had. It's like, I need to feel bad about myself. I need to engage in some sort of shaming of myself so that God will see that I'm really sorry and then he will forgive me and will be level. And we think that way because honestly, that's the way a lot of people treat us. But thankfully, that's not how God treats us. Repentance is an attitude, it's a mindset. And it puts us in a position to be open to the new information, the good things that God wants to bring to open our eyes to this larger perspective of whatever he's offering us. So the path of repentance is a path of humility. It's an attitude that says, I'm open to rethinking, to reconsidering my, my thinking, my beliefs, my choices on whatever, however God wants to speak to me. And yet humility, again, is one of those words. We hear it and we think, okay, humility means I have to act like I'm less than. I have a great example of what humility is not, and it comes from the Dutch. We have some friends from Holland, and we've actually gotten to go there to, to visit them. And I heard this phrase, and I thought, that, that can't be. It came to mind when I was thinking about this. turns out the Dutch have at least four sayings because their, their culture, people think anyway, that because the Dutch culture has such deep roots in Calvinism, which is a fairly uh, intense form of Christianity and can, and can lead to a shaming mindset if you're not careful— that there is this attitude, and, and you'll catch it when these phrases that I say. So the first phrase, and this is a common phrases in Holland, is just act normal. That's crazy enough. <laughs> tall trees catch a lot of wind. There's a subtlety there in that one that I kind of like, but it's like, yeah, you want to be a tall tree, well, there's more wind up there. It's kind of like, you know, don't, don't get too high and mighty. How about this one? Don't stick your head above the mowing field. And then the last one, which is my, my favorite, he who is born a dime will never be a quarter. <laughs> I heard that and I was like, wow, way to just kill your dreams right from birth. Jeez. So that attitude that says just stay less than, just don't act, you know, don't act big, don't act special, don't act important, that is not Humility. Humility is just being able to have an honest assessment of myself, my strengths, weaknesses, my abilities, my limitations, all of it, accompanied with the willingness to receive new information to really consider it and potentially change my direction because of it. That's humility. It doesn't say that I'm less than who I am. It says I am who I am. And God actually likes who I am. Um, so what gets in the way of this way, the way of repentance or the way of humility. Generally, it's some form of pride. And I was trying to think, what's a good example of somebody not willing to change? And then this came to mind. Go ahead and put up the image, Joni. Blockbuster. I I don't know if you're under 20, if you've ever even been in a Blockbuster. I grew up going to Blockbuster. It was a video store. Such things existed. And they, uh, we would go, and I remember spending lots of time in those aisles. Turns out Blockbuster at one point had a CEO who said, we need to go to, to a streaming online service. And they fired him. They just fired him and said, no, we're sticking with our guns. We're going we're gonna to stick with the store. And it was not very long after um, that Blockbuster does not exist. They went bankrupt. Throughout history, God has taken people on journeys that require them to change their mind. If you read the Bible at all, you will find people that find themselves in places where they have to reconsider sometimes their deepest held beliefs. And our willingness to do that will determine whether we stay on the Jesus path. He says, the kingdom's here. How you get there? Repentance, the way of being willing to reconsider and think and change. Um, One of the greatest practices for this, and I'm going to give you three questions before we talk about the other part. One of the greatest practices for this is either offering or asking for forgiveness. This is a practice that we all know is important and that is very hard for everyone and doesn't happen very often. What does it require to ask for forgiveness or to offer somebody forgiveness? Brene Brown has this phrase that I really like. She says, you have to first recognize the story you're telling yourself and then you've got to be open to a new story. So what is that being open to a new story? That's humility, right? It says, I know what I experienced. I know the story I wrote in my mind about what happened there. God, would you show me a new story? Would you give me a bigger perspective? And in my experience, and I'm sure in yours as well, God answers that prayer. God shows us a bigger perspective. That's how he helps us towards reconciliation. Um, Three questions to ask yourself if you want to know how, how do I know if, I, if I'm making this way or how do I find a, a way? I'm going to put up three questions here regarding the way of repentance. One is, how do I respond to information that doesn't support my current worldview? One word, politics. How does our culture or how do you respond when you hear something that doesn't line up with your current point of view? I'm not saying we shouldn't weigh things. We should just agree with everybody. But think about the responses that are kindled by a single word, one trigger word that just, you know, lights a fire and then it's like your brain is gone. That happens all the time. What's about, uh, what about this next question? How many road signs does it take for me to change directions? How long was I driving and seeing the, the little compass marking south before I was willing to stop the car and say, I missed something. <laughs> I'm going, we are going the wrong direction. How long does that take? How many signs? How painful does life have to get before we're willing to reconsider, right? That's the way of humility. And lastly, how many different avenues can I hear God through? It's amazing how we often limit the idea that I, God is going to speak to me through the people that I want God to speak to me through. And it's funny and frustrating how often in Scripture God speaks to people through people he, they don't want to hear from. And so if I'm deciding who I'm going to hear God through, I'm actually limiting the amount that God can actually show me and teach me. So these three questions can direct us towards the way of humility. Next, I want to talk about his second word. So the two words were repent and believe. So let's talk about belief for a moment. Um, In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus makes a statement. There it is. He answered them. When people came to ask him, like, how do, we, how do we get to do the works of God? How do we kind of, you know, become like you and get to God and, and all those things? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. And just like he said to his disciples in John 14, believe in me. Now, if I said the phrase to you, sorry, pause there for a second. When people hear the word believe in me, what do we think Jesus meant? I feel like a lot of times in our minds, we're thinking, oh, Jesus wants us to believe all these theological concepts or precepts about him that other people have told us. But if I stood before you and I said, believe in me, do you believe in me? What am I ultimately saying? Do you trust me? Do you actually have confidence in me that I can do what I say that I can do? That's what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about theological doctrine. He's talking about a gut level conviction about who is ultimately responsible for your well-being. Because he's preaching a message that's saying, disciples, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you there. You've got to believe in me. And yet we spend so much time fretting and worrying and, and concerned about so many things. Trust is a huge issue. And when Jesus uses the word believe, he's not talking about a doctrine. He's talking about relational trust. He's talking about our confidence in who he is. So, three options for what I can trust for my well-being. The first would be myself. If it's my job to secure my own well-being, which let's all admit, how, how able are we really to do that? When you think about the amount of uncontrollable things that happen in our world, how well are we able to secure our own well-being? I am woefully unable to do that, but if I try, I will spend my, all my life, all my time, all my energy, all my resources on making sure that I'm okay. Guess what that doesn't leave any time for? Anybody else. Anybody else that isn't useful to me in terms of my well-being. That does not sound very much like Jesus to me. So now what if it's not my responsibility? What if I put that responsibility on you and I say it's your responsibility to take care of me for my well-being? Well, the problem is you can't do that either. You're going to fall short. You're going to fail me. And so what will happen is if I have this expectation of other people that they're going to take care of me and support my well-being and I put an unreasonable weight on them, I'm going to burn through relationships. I'm going to go through people who fail me over and over and over and over. And I will end up an embittered person, also not the Jesus way. But what if we say it's God's responsibility for our ultimate well-being? Who we put our trust in for our ultimate good. If it's God's job, then get this. He's already doing it. He's already doing it. God isn't waiting to start for anything. He's already taking care of us. And once I accept that God's responsible for me... I will actually be freed to not have to worry about being responsible for all my own well-being and good, and I can focus on you. Now, don't don't overstate what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we all need to become martyrs, but what I'm saying is my freedom to live and be the person I want to be, which is a person that cares about other people and serves other people and loves other people well, is rooted in whether or not I'm going to trust God. That's where it comes from. So, how can you tell? How do you respond when you can't have what you want? Now, it's it's simple if you say, well, I you know, I, I just wanted this little thing. It's not a big deal. But what about something you really, really wanted? Something you wanted on a level you would almost say, like, I needed that. And you don't get it. What is your response? Because I think that trusting God doesn't mean we'll never feel that way. I mean... I think we're all going to feel that way. Life does not always give you what you want. I feel like I'm quoting a song. You can't always get what you want, right? Is that Rolling Stones? Um, Prophetic. Um, You can't. Life will not give it to you. So if I know that's the case, I know I'm going to experience, then how do I respond when life does not give me what I want or even what I would say I need? My response If there's someone else to trust, my response is that God, God is using that moment to show me that there is a deeper way he wants to take care of me. We often experience those things and we just think, oh man, you know, like I needed this, I didn't get it, that really stinks. But the reality is those moments come up and they are opportunities for us to recognize I have a deep need in my life. I have a deep need to feel taken care of in this specific way. You know what some of those ways are for me? I really like uh, having just time with my good friends. I really like having fun together. And sometimes I really like and just need some like alone time. Well, what if I don't get those things? Do I have another option? I believe that we do have another option. Um, <clears throat> the greatest way, if you want to practice... If you want to practice trusting God, here's what I think the greatest way is. It's the spiritual practice of sacrifice. It means letting go of something that you think you need in order to remind yourself that you don't need it because God is taking care of you. I'm not suggesting, again, being extreme. I think this is a spirit-inspired thing that you have to do. But it's a way of reestablishing your healthy trust with God. Maybe it's a thing an actual physical object, you think, I can't go without that. Maybe it's a way of spending time. I have to have this time set aside, and if I don't have this time, I'm not okay. Maybe it's a person. Maybe there's somebody that you have relied on too heavily and that you're setting both you and them up, your relationship, for a fall. This practice of sacrifice is a way of saying, God, I acknowledge and remember that trusting you is ultimately all that matters, and it's what's going to set me free to become the person that I want to be. It is the way of Jesus. And I would remind you something that we easily gloss over. All of the disciples left Jesus to follow something. Do you remember the stories of Jesus following or calling the disciples? They left families, they left jobs, they left belief systems, and they left comforts. They left those things that they had been holding on tightly to follow Jesus. I have three questions that I'd like to put up on the screen. Just like in the, in the, um, in the way of humility, in the way of trust, we can ask ourselves, am I paralyzed by a need for certainty before I can f- follow where God is, is taking me? In other words, do I have to know that I know? Do I have to have this thing figured out before I can take a step? Next question. Do I control my life as a way of protecting myself from having to trust God? In other words, do I limit myself in a simple, cocooned, controlled environment so that I don't have to trust God? Because quite frankly, it's a lot easier, but I'm not really feeling like I'm on the way anywhere. I'm just kind of staying there. Next question. What are the things in my life that replace a need to trust God because they give me that temporary sense of being taken care of? They exist. We all have them. I love food. I, I, I can use food with the best of them to feel great. And yet food is one of those simple little things where if I pay attention, often I will recognize I'm craving to feel good because life is not making me feel good and I'm using food to get there. There is another option. What would it be like to engage God in a question? How do you want to take care of me? Uh, I'd like to pray for us. And um, as I do, I want to just, now that I've said all these things, I want to take just a moment and pause, and if you wouldn't mind with me closing your eyes, and let's just have a moment before God and invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we we don't know how you work, but we know that you come and you speak to us. We know that you come and you bring us new thoughts, new ideas, new direction. You also come to comfort and encourage us and remind us of things. So we make room now in our minds and our hearts for you. This journey, God, that you have invited us on to is a difficult and sometimes confusing journey. And yet I believe, Jesus, that that you don't want us to be confused or overwhelmed. You want to make it simple for us. And so you gave us this simple phrase, repent and believe. This morning, God, if we're in a place where we've been locked into a certain way of thinking, we have not been able to hear your voice in various ways coming to, to bring us new ideas, new stories, new perspective. Would you show us to God that we don't have to we don't have to stay there, that we can change, and in fact that you are inviting us on the way of change, on the way of repentance. We humble ourselves before you, God, not because we're less than, but because you value us so highly. We want to be open to that value. We want to receive it. We want to participate with you. Would you remove the prideful parts in us that don't want to listen, that don't want to change, so that we can be on the way with you, Jesus? And God, for the, for those things that are are comforts to us but not necessarily from you things that we've used um, to get by in life to be comfortable to take care of our our surface level needs but that really that really aren't taking us anywhere would you show us something that you might invite us to leave behind And would you show us that as we, as we leave these things, as we, as we set them down, as we sacrifice them to you, would you show us how much greater your love is for us, how much greater your ability to take care of us and to meet our deepest needs, and that you are already taking care of us if we will be open to it. We open our hearts to you, Jesus, and we say we do trust you. Thank you for speaking to us and being with us together. And thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for listening this morning. And uh, thank you for being here. We'll be back next Sunday. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. If you'd like prayer, we're going to have some people, including Jimmy and myself, will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. And um, we'll see you next week.